Did you know that if you took all the data we create in just one day and burnt it onto DVDs, you could stack them on top of each other and reach the moon and back? Hello and welcome to Powerful Podcasts brought to you by Think First. My name's Kirsten Lees. Today, it's big data. How big is it? And if you've got it, you probably have. What do you do about it? Are the promises of big data all just hype? Are the privacy concerns justified? How does big data fit into your content strategy? And we tackle a much sidestepped question, where do Vikings and unicorns fit into the big data story? The problem with the big data story is that it's told in enormous numbers. It kind of wows your brain and then evaporates into a, well, that's nothing to do with me, kind of blur. So today we'll try and translate the numbers into something meaningful for business, content marketers and people, you and me. We talked to Graham Noseworthy, a big data Viking, about what people, the customer, gets out of the constant collection of our every move, purchase or heartbeat and how organizations can produce big data magic. But if you're providing the masses of your organization's tools that allow them to get out there and do things they've never been able to do before, um, then they can cross great oceans and explore new worlds. We also talk to a data scientist, a breed we hear as rare and as special as unicorns. Michael Wu explains the challenges of getting real value out of an ocean of data and takes a glance at the future. I think the next step in the big data revolution is actually comes in the analytics, right? It's, it's the algorithms that you build to extract information and extract insights from the data. I first spoke to Graham Noseworthy. Graham's a former IBMer from their innovation centre, the Watsons Foundation, and he's now with Rapid Mining, an open source predictive analytics platform. But don't let that put you off. He speaks perfectly good English. I asked him what we were getting out of big data. Um, big data and, and certainly um, the practice of analytics, of really extracting insight from the raw data itself, is providing essentially what's you know known as a win-win scenario. So on one hand, marketers are able to get better at personalization. They're able to get better at predicting what people want. Um, and most importantly, we're able to do something now, which has been a challenge for decades, which is real impactful measurement to our organizations. So we can really um, understand audiences at an individual level um, and then be able to report back to our um, you know, chief marketing officers, chief information officers about how we're doing. So that's the win to the organization. And then the win to the customer is we're providing a better, more personalized experience. So they're getting the ads they, that, that are relevant they're getting the content that's relevant, and they're getting an, an entirely personalized experience. Um, so it's no longer just marketing to the masses. It's now marketing to the individual. And that's the power of data. That's what analytics can really um, drive for uh, marketers to achieve. Now, the thing to keep in mind here is this is no longer about competitive differentiation. This is not something that's nice to have. This is now a business requirement. This is something organizations must have. So whether you're Betty's Bakery Shop or a big global bank, you, you have to be using data 
to understand customers at an individual level. Question goes back to big data's told me everything I need to know to personalize something to, for my customer stream, whether that's 100 people, as you say, or 100,000. Yep. Do, what, what do I do then as the person who puts out the messaging, to per, not to personalize it, but to make it an efficient workflow that that customer gets a personalized message that I haven't had to spend three weeks slicing all my kind of my uh, broadcast messages into tiny personalized packages. Like, do you see the, the challenge that I see for the content producer? Um, you can't just automate, automate messaging to make it personal. There has to be the personal touch. So what's the kind of workflow impact and the um, content production challenge that this the era of personalization presents? Yeah, and, and it is a challenge, absolutely. So that you are you're right on the mark for that. And I think the key to that is collaboration across the enterprise. Marketers have typically acted in a silo, which was considered a cost center or something that organizations, it was almost a sort of necessary evil. And now marketers more and more are owning the technology, owning the data, owning the messaging, and owning that process. So as marketers get better um, at, shifting from being primarily creative-driven individuals to data and analytics and creative-driven individuals, very important that those go hand-in-hand, what they'll find is there's more of an ability to collaborate. So marketers are now collaborating with sales, product teams, um, uh, financial teams, customer service, content creation. They're, they're, they're really now maximizing and the, the ability to not only delegate and collaborate, but make sure that they have all the available content. And then they're also able to curate content from various sources, whether it's different teams inside the enterprise, activating community members outside the enterprise, working with partners, working with cross-industry teams. So now what they're saying is instead of just marketing being responsible for creating the content, they're saying let's look at a much larger, um, almost like a hub-and-spoke model where they're bringing in content from various sources, uh, pulling it in, curating it, personalizing it, and sending it back out. And we're seeing that happen more and more now, uh, especially with sources like the like news sources and primary news feeds, places like CNN.com and, and so on and so forth, where different people get different experiences based on their level of interest and what they know about that individual or that individual's persona. Um, so I think collaboration is key so that marketers do not basically feel like now they are responsible for creating everything. They're actually more like a conductor of an orchestra, and they're actually responsible for conducting as opposed to simply creating. You've worked a lot, from what I understand, with media organizations. So you've looked at personalization and the impact on, that, on those businesses. Yeah. Um, that brings up the whole question of economies of scale. If, if we're getting very picky and personalized in what, and very niche in what we want to, to be entertained or informed by, how do those uh, companies make the kind of money that, that um, covers the production values that we're also used to? Well, I like to refer to it as the content, uh, the, um, um, really the currency, I should say, the currency of relevance, right? And if 
I am able to provide a highly personalized experience to a consumer. That means that whether or not I literally know exactly who that individual is, but if I have a reasonable certainty as to what that type of person may look like, um, and I'm able to provide a very good experience, that means I have a really strong set of reliable information. So big data is typically talked about the three V's, volume, velocity, variety. There's a fourth V in there that's very important, which is veracity, meaning data that I can really trust. And if I'm able to cover those V's and I'm able to deliver a very highly personalized experience, that means that I can turn around to um, advertisers, I'm able to turn around to demand side platforms, data management platforms, a lot of the um, companies that play within the ecosystem of the ad tech universe, and I'm able to say, hey, look, I know exactly who Graham knows where he is. I know what he wants. I know what he likes. I know what he's in the market for. Instead of you spending your marketing dollars to target a wide array of people to get to f try to find Graham, I can tell you exactly who he is. And I can do that in a very private, uh, in a very safe, and in a very reliable manner so that I'm, I'm, I'm creating a personalized experience for Graham, and at the same point, I'm providing a very premium, highly targeted experience for the, for the advertiser. So therefore, they're able to charge a much higher premium for their ads, and they're able to create entirely new revenue and marketing and data sharing streams. So now, they're, they're basically making, they're making more money. They're making better money. They're making reliable money because they're able to sell the audience as opposed to selling the inventory. And inventory sales have been weaning. It's just been very difficult for a long time. And now people want to buy the audience. They want to be able to talk directly to me if they know I'm in the market for a car or a house or a, a particular pair of shoes or whatever it might be. So that's where we're starting to see a lot more of the money come in is the notion of the audience buy. And it's a very powerful thing for marketers and advertisers alike. The, the Next area I want to talk to you about is the, I guess, the marketing of big, big data itself. I've been working on this, putting together this podcast for quite a, a few weeks now. And one of what's stopped me doing it is understanding what the story is for big data. What's the narrative? You know, so much of what you read is based on words like customer centric and customer value. But yeah. when you look at the infographics or the you hear the story behind it it so often is skewed to value for the company so as you say the the audience sell that's not necessarily a bad thing but what I'm looking for and I, I think you can help me with this is what's the story for the customer yeah, I, I mean, I, and that is a very important part of the story. And that's why, you know, when we started this conversation, I talked about the notion of the win-win, right? Which is, if all you're thinking about is speeds and feeds and petabytes and zettabytes and, um, you know, revenue and insights, you're missing a big picture here, okay? And you're missing that point of the consumer. And I spend a lot of time thinking about the oper uh, operationalization of predictive analytics. I spend a lot of time thinking about um, how organizations are taking analytics and trying to make it an effortless activity and trying to take it from the realm of um, the data scientist and turn it more into the business analyst, into the marketer, making sure everyone is data-driven. And the output of that has to be something that 
gets back to the consumer or the customer, whether it's B2B, B2C, whatever, you know, companies have customers and those customers expect a better, more relevant, more targeted experience. Um, so I think what we're seeing is consumers now want their content unbundled as the way we've seen with Netflix. They want to be able to watch what they want to watch whenever they want to watch it. D the rise of the, of the DVR and people, you know, skipping through commercials is a great example of that. Um, and I think the win to the consumer is that better experience. So if organizations are merely trying to extract insights that allow them to improve an internal process or get away from their data being in silos, that, that's all good. But what it should be is it should, it should be that there, there needs to be two sides to that coin. And I, as I've worked with organizations around the world, I've worked very hard to challenge them, which is if, you, if, if I'm going to talk to your CIO, I want the CMO in the room. If I'm going to talk to your chief revenue officer, I want to talk to your chief privacy officer as well. I want to make sure that we are both um, exploring how data can improve inside operations, do things faster, better, whatever it might be. But I also want to make sure that we're understanding how we're providing a better, more relevant experience to the consumer. And we're seeing this across industries, banking, telco, media and entertainment, healthcare, insurance. You know, a lot of these, even, even uh, public and private governmental organizations, we're seeing everyone have a vested interest in saying, Mr. Consumer, Mrs. Consumer, if you're going to give me more access to your data, I'm going to provide a better experience back to you. And that has to be there. Now, I'm not surprised to hear you say that in, uh, you know, infographics and things that you're seeing, it's a little bit more skewed toward the enterprise. I'm not surprised by that because those are the ones that, you know, cut the checks, buy the technology. You know, Mr. and Mrs. Joe Consumer out there probably are not buying Hadoop platforms and thinking about predictive analytics, but CMOs and CIOs are. So I think what we end up looking at is trying to get them away from having a discussion about speeds and feeds and data sizes, three or four Vs included, and start thinking about the use cases. What are you trying to do? How are you trying to get in better touch with your consumers? And a great example of that is the whole notion of personalization is really nothing new. If you go back 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, when we went to the bank, the branch manager knew us. They knew our name. They knew our family. They knew our financial situation. When you went to the market, the grocer knew you, knew you, knew your family, knew what products you liked. They knew what you wanted. When you went to the car dealership, you bought the same car you know, over the course. You, you, you bought five or six cars over the course of 20 years, in some cases, from the same person. And People aren't doing that anymore. With the rise of big box retailers, you walk into a store, nobody knows you. You go to a bank, they don't know you. You go to a, you go to a car dealership, they probably own 30 dealerships. They don't know you. And what they're doing now is they're trying to use data and analytics to ensure that we can get back to that. When you go to a website for your bank, they know you. And by the time you get to the branch, they're using data visualization so they know you. When you go to an experience with a retailer, if you go to the website, they know you. If you go to their store, they might not know you, but you know them. So personalization is about experience, and experience is about feeling like 
the organizations you're doing business with or you're consuming content from that they know you. And that is entirely a big data and analytics challenge. That's fabulous. And I think what big data lacks when you're talking to um, business is almost, as I say, is that passion. Big data has been discussed now for years. I don't, un- I don't believe that most people understand it, and therefore most business people understand it any more than they did five years ago. Yes, it is changing everything we do. It's changing our, our healthcare systems, our, the cost of doing business with the government uh, and privately. It's changing the world. It matters. It's good. It's bad. It's, it's everything. But it's so hard to hook people into the story as an interesting and uh, intellectually stimulating part of the conversation about life. So that's, that's, that's where I am with it. It's, um, I want to see it out of its box and part of and understood as part of everyday conversation, not just yeah. something the big, big banks do. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the way, one of the comparisons that I make to data and analytics is someday it's going to be like electricity. It's going to be like email. It's going to be like having running water in your office. It's, it's going to be an everyday common thing that people will look back and think, my God, how did we ever, how did we ever do business without this? You know, and, and, and certainly computers and, 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 and applications of computing and media and entertainment and beyond isn't exactly new. It's just we're able to do it now much faster, much grander with with far more uh, heavy or far-reaching implications, I guess would be the way to put it, right? So, you know, um, and, and if we think about healthcare, the rise of electronic medical records, uh, certainly the rise of the internet things, which will affect everything. And then, of course, the power of cognitive computing, where you see things like, you know, um, IBM Watson and so on and so forth. Um, what we're seeing is that it's becoming magical and amazing and technically challenging, but very, very common. Um, you know, running analytics on a website or understanding how a tweet performs or pulling a report out of salesforce.com and, you know, marrying that to a marketing optimization and, and, you know, operations or automation really uh, platform is, you know, these are things that are, this is all commonplace now. Um, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, it was a very technically challenging um, type of thing that was really only enjoyed by very few, very large organizations that had massive um, ability to spend. Now, cloud computing, software as a service is making this a reality for anyone. And literally, I mean anyone. Um, when I, I, you know, when I talk about, you know, Betty's Bakery Shop on the corner or, you know, the big box bank that's a global platform, um, big data and analytics is within the reach of anyone and they're learning how to apply it. And that's why the definition of big data really is no longer just petabytes and zettabytes. It's now entirely subjective, right? So if an organization has a set of data that has grown beyond their legacy system's ability to deal with it, that's big data. For Betty's Bakery Shop, it could be gigabytes. For the large global bank, it could be 
petabytes or zettabytes or yottabytes. It could be in, you know, enormous, enormous amounts of data. So um, I think what we're seeing is that this is becoming a standard. It's becoming a business requirement. It's becoming an everyday thing. It's becoming when you start a business, you say to yourself, all right, guys, we need uh, electricity, an, an office, we need email, and we need analytics. And that's how it's going to be, uh, not only in the near future, but really in the now. Finally, Graham, you talked about the four V's of, uh, of big data, volume, velocity, yep. variety, and veracity. I'm wondering if there's a fifth V, and I'm just looking at your LinkedIn profile, which suggests a Viking-like prowess. <laughs> Are you the, is that the fifth V of big, big data? Well, sure, I, and I, I, I think it, in some ways it is. Is you know, I, I would never necessarily directly assign that and, and add that, but I think the notion of it being something that you have to be aggressive about. It, 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 you can't be complacent or sit back and just wait for the data to flow and hope something happens. You need to understand your platforms. You have to have a solid understanding of the difference between data in motion and data at rest, structured and unstructured, different data types, different analytics types, um, how the models work, how the processes work, and then how you can actually apply it. Look, I'm not a data scientist. I never will be. But in my everyday job, in the places I work, I am surrounded by people who are of an incredible brilliance. The problem is they're like unicorns. There's not many of them. So we have to rely more on you know, the Vikings and the people who can actually get out there and be aggressive and, 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 and apply the data in analytics and let the data scientists dare mighty things. Let them, let them, let them create the world that we go out and fight for. And I think that's the notion is that data and analytics requires um, tenacity. It requires passion. And it requires people to um, have a belief that if they continue to explore and they continue to um, dare and get out there and try to do things they've never been able to do before, then those are the kinds of organizations who will succeed and be the industry leaders tomorrow. So if your organization is relying on a brilliant few to benefit um, a technically challenged many, you're going to have a real challenge with that. But if you're providing the masses of your organization's tools that allow them to get out there and do things they've never been able to do before, um, then they can cross great oceans and explore new worlds. And I think that every organization should challenge themselves to do exactly that. Fabulous, Graham. Thank you so much. How can uh, anyone get in contact with you or follow you? Um, they can follow me at Graham Knows on Twitter. That's G-R-A-E-M-E-K-N-O-W-S. They can certainly follow me at J. Graham Knowsworthy on LinkedIn. Um, or you can just Google me. I am not hard to find. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. For a different perspective, I talked to Michael Wu, Chief Scientist at Lithium Technologies. I'd heard Michael speak at this year's South by Southwest conference, the biggest showcase of interactive technologies in the world. There, he led packed out sessions, courageously translating the science of data and analytics to marketers and managers, a challenge he agreed to repeat for Think First. 
Um, thank you so much for talking to us today. You were at South By this year presenting on one of the topics that dominated discussion, data analytics, data science. Uh, why do you think or what is it about that topic that makes it so hot, such a big issue at the moment? Yeah, I feel that one of the reasons that this topic is uh, going to blow up, you know, I, 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 you know, it's, in some sense, it's no surprise because uh, I think traditionally we we've always operated on the sense of you know some data that we have, limited data that we have. I mean, it used to be that we observe and uh, we have a hard drive that's our brain, and we recall data and and use our experience, you know, to make judgment and decisions about uh, business or anything that we encounter. But today we just have, you know, so many more, so much more data that, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of keep track in our brain and it's hard to recall it accurately and uh, precisely. So I think the big data technology today is helping us to cope with such a big volume of data. And so I, I think in the fundamentally, you know, the, our decision process and how our brain works actually hasn't changed very much. You know, it's just that now we have a much uh, more data to access and we need to access it faster. And, you know, um, so I think that's this is why, because the big data technology have made, you know, uh, the, you know, capturing and processing and retrieving uh, these data. So uh, I would say so economics, you know, like, you know, so cheaply so that we don't have to spend that much, uh, a lot of money to do that. Yeah, I think in the industry, there's actually, you know, two different definitions of what they, big data really means. You know, one is really, when you talk about big data, you're referring to the big data technology. You're referring to, you know, the Hadoops, you know, the MapReduce, you know, uh, all the technology that's built on top of the, you know, distributed computing platform. So those are the technology enablers that enable you to capture and process and store and retrieve these data uh, economically. But um, so that's one definition. I think that another definition is the actual data itself, right? So the data is itself is generated, you know, from uh, many many different sources. Certainly, you know, all the uh, digital device that we have, phones and wearables and you know, all that stuff is that generates generate data. So the, another definition of big data is really just, a, you know, data that's been generated. So I think, you know, depends on who you talk to, there's uh, really two different types of definitions of what big data is. That's why I think in some sense, I don't really like the term uh, big data because I, I, to me, you know, data is just data. So. And, and you can have more or less of it and then use it more or less intelligently, I expect. And That's precisely, yeah. So when you're talking to the C-suite, the CEOs, the CTOs, um, communication specialists, what, what are the questions they're asking or what do, they, what do they want big data to deliver? Yeah, I think most of the C-level executive, right, I mean, like any, any C-level executive, they are measure on business impact, business outcome. So ultimately, I think their goal is to, they wanted to, uh, big data to help them um, make a more informed decision, a better decision, uh, so that they could, they could impact the business in a positive way. But I think that's mostly what that C-level wants. Overall, a business is doing this smartly at the moment? Um, I think currently, 
most business are not doing this, you know, in a really smart way. I think the, you know, like I said, you know, a lot of times when people talk about big data, they talk about the technology, the infrastructure uh, level of big data. So you you'd be asking people like, are you doing big data? They would say, yes, of course I do. You know, I have Hadoop, I have like you know, MapReduce, I have hired data scientists to. Uh, so what? But what they're actually doing is they're actually just capturing and storing a lot of data. And to be honest, I think a lot of those data are not being looked at, not being analyzed. Even they have data scientists, they can never hire enough of them to look at all the data they have ever captured. So, and what about smaller businesses? I and mean, I work with a lot of organizations as a consultant who whose kind of data capture rests in the realm of Google, Google Analytics and trying to kind of narrow that down rather than having big databases. That, I think they, they don't feel they're part of the big data game. Are well, I mean, so I think the important thing is what you can get out of those data, right? I mean, if you could get a meaningful... Um, bit of information out of the data that will help you make a better decision, right? That's meaningful, right? I mean, that's why, I mean, to, like I said, I repeat again, no, I don't like the term big data, but right? it doesn't matter how much data you have, right? If you can make sense of it and, uh, and you know, ex- basically extract the information and glean some insights, right? And leverage that insight in a way that you could take action to impact your business, then I think you know it doesn't matter how much data you have, right? I mean, whether you have a small set of data that will help you do that or a big data set that will help you do that, um, certainly you could probably find a little bit more insights. Your chances are higher if you find if you have a large data set, right? I mean, to to find some insights that you don't know before. Uh, if you have a small data set, you know, most likely you probably you know use it as a confirmatory thing. You know, I I observe this these type of you know, phenomena in my, say, customer base or my user base, and you are using it to confirm what you observe, or right, to, in, you know, or to make some decision. Just going, moving away from data, I'm going to drop the word big, um, moving away <laughs> from data and looking at, at your experience as a presenter at South by this year, uh, what did you learn personally from standing up in front of that particular audience or from many of the sessions you went along to? Yeah, I think definitely, you know, there is a hunger to understand, you know, big data. I mean, and this is kind of, I would say, a little bit of, you know, too much of the hype around big data, you know, so people understand that they, that is important and they need to understand it. Um, But there are also a lot of confusion around it because, you know, um, like, you know, do you really need to write MapReduce job? Do you really need to know how to write, you know, uh, Hive queries or you know program in, in in Spark you know all those those languages I mean in order to to leverage big data I mean I, this is one of the reasons why I created that uh, session that workshop you know is to enable I think the less technical audience like the C level executives you know um, to understand the fundamental concepts of big data and data science. Right, and what to so understand what a data scientist actually do, what are they actually uh, focusing on, so that they can actually help talk to them and, and you know explain to them what they want. Right, um, I think that there's definitely a, a hunger to understand big data, but um, I think there's no uh, shortcut in some way, right? I mean, because I think you know both the uh, the C level, the, the management level, 
people have to learn a little bit more about big data, about data in general, right? And um, I think same thing for the data scientists, the data analysts. They also need to learn a little bit more about business, right? So um, it goes both ways. Another thing I, I found around the topic when I was there, sort of cruising through sessions, was a, there's a kind of fear, and it's almost, I think with the whole term big data, there's a, almost a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Does that mean, you know, they link it to government agencies knowing too much or senses of pri- a sense of privacy and so on? What do you say to that? What's your answer to that fear? Yeah, I think there's definitely a uh, concern for privacy because, with, you know, basically we as consumers, as we use uh, social media or mobile devices, we are constantly leaving behind a digital footprint. And those digital footprint can be collected, you know, and analyzed by people, right? And to figure out what, uh, what we want, what we want to do, where we were, and all those um, things that are perhaps very... Um, private, right, in, in some sense. So um, I think there is a privacy concern, and I think that, you know, it's, uh, it's to, for our, you know, future, for us and also our future generation to figure out, you know, what's the right trade off. I think right now um, the millennials simply uh, don't care, right? I mean, they get the utility of communicating with their friends whenever they want, wherever they want. And that's in, that seemed to be enough of a, a trade-off for giving up their privacy, right? But at some point, you know, that may not be the case. Or maybe at some point they would realize that, you know, they are giving up their privacy, you know, they get spam emails from, you know, random people that they don't even know, and it, that bothers them, right? So um, at some point, I think, it, you know, there will be a, a trade-off. There will be a middle point, the middle ground that will come to, um, arrive at. I don't know where that is at this at this moment, right? And but at some point, I think uh, we as a as a as a society will figure it out together. And I guess it's it's going to be one of those things that shifts with time and culture, you know, where, where we're at in in all sorts of other aspects of our lives and technology. Um, yes, definitely. Yeah, I think that's you know I think um, definitely there there is a big cultural dependence, right? Some countries are, you know. Um, like they're much less likely to you know, opt in to uh, leave any digital footprints behind. You know, to, but um, yeah, whereas in the U.S. or you know, it's it's very common you know, that most people would just trade off uh, their digital footprints with uh, pretty much any kind of utility they could get out of it. And looking, looking forward to just 12 months, and I'm using South by as a kind of marker, if, you, if you're back there next year, what other things would you expect to see on the agenda? What, you know, what aspects of either data do you suspect will have evolved to create more discussion um, or across the board in interactivity? Yeah, I think the data discussion won't go away. I think that's, you know... Um, I think that will continue because I think big data, like I said, is still fairly new, even though it has been around for quite a while. Um, and most of the big data uh, conversation has been focused around the infrastructure layer, uh, as I kind of uh, mentioned earlier, that we, we focus on the machinery you know, this, that captures, store, and process and retrieve data, right? I think the next step in the big data revolution is actually comes in the analytics, right? It's, it's the algorithms that you build to extract information and extract insights from the data. I think that will be the next uh, wave of uh, 
uh, big data revolution. That's fantastic, Michael. Thank you so much for your time and insights on that. How do people get hold of you or follow you if they want to learn more about being a data scientist, data itself, and your sort of evolution of understanding of the area? Uh, sure. I mean, uh, I have a, a Twitter handle. You could follow me at Michael Wu. Uh, Michael Wu is spelled as M-I-C-H-8-E-L uh, and then W-U. Basically, you replace Michael Wu, then replace the A with the letter, uh, with the number eight. And that's it for our big data edition of Powerful Podcasts. If you like it, share it. To find out about our monthly skills breakfasts, follow us on Facebook or visit us at www.thinkfirst.today. And remember, now we know how and why, we'll be following your every click.